I'm Colin Ellis, and for 30 years I was a permanent employee of other people's cultures. What I wanted to know more than anything else during that time was how to create a great culture myself. So I wrote a book called Culture Fix, which is the world's first how-to guide for building great workplace culture. And in this, the Culture Makers podcast, I get industry leaders from around the world to expand on the ideas I wrote about in the book and to get them to share actionable things that you can do to create a great place to work yourself. And remember, listening is good, but action is better. Hi there, everybody. My guest today on the Culture Makers podcast is Lani Beer. Lani is a change maker, passionate about empowering and leading people and teams to achieve great things. With over 20 years of change leadership expertise, she's a trusted trailblazer and coach who has successfully engineered and delivered business change and transformation to achieve immense business and customer value in the financial and legal sectors in the UK and Australia. Lani, thank you so much for joining us on the Culture Makers podcast today. Hi, can't wait. <laughs> Let's get into it then. So I detect from your accent, you're not from around these parts. So where was home originally, Lani? Where did it all start? What did you study? What was your first job? Sure. Um, so I was born in the UK and I moved to Oz um, to be with my husband, John, and it was an experiment for two years. It's 11 years on. <laughs> I'm still here. Um, and, you know, I guess from a from a work perspective, I've, I've always worked in change and mainly because I'm really driven by learning and variety. But my home, <laughs> which is a great question, is is where your heart is, I believe. And my home, you know, really is in Melbourne, is in Manchester. And it's in Boston because that's where my family and friends are. But I actually studied in Manchester as well. And my first ever job was working on my parents' market store. They sold leather goods and I worked for them for a bit. And then I decided that I was bored. And so I went to work on a sweet stall selling sweets. And that was really bad because I ate them (laughs) (laughs) and didn't get paid because I ate the profit. (laughs) So that was awful. But my, my first real job was actually as a travel agent. And I really quickly learned that it's no fun booking other people's holidays. And so I moved on and went to work for a hotel. And that was a really good learning opportunity, you know, working in teams and learning about customer service. And, you know, I really liked working with people, but I really didn't like working in shifts. (laughs) (laughs) So you got some, what I would call a frontline kind of culture experience, not only working with kind of the family, which I always think is, is, you know, my wife and I work together. It's always a a different kind of cultural experience when you work for your family. But then, you know, kind of in that service industry, particularly around hotels, you you would have been exposed very early on to kind of different ways of doing things, different ways of working and and really got that view of, of, of what you liked and what you didn't really early in your career, right? Totally. Um, I think working in a hotel is is really interesting because it's a bit like working um, in a production. There's front stage and there's backstage and they're both very, very different. What people see at the front of house and what goes on at the back, totally, um, you know, engineered in some respects. And you have to do a lot of work in the background to make services work beautifully for customers. 
If anyone's listening to this who works in a hotel, I'd love you to be on the show because I'd love to find out a little bit more about the backstage. We haven't got time in Lanny's podcast, but yes, definitely try and, and come back and do that. And so we're then after that, Lanny. Well, I then started to work um, really in change because I enjoyed working with people. And so I ended up um, studying project management. And the way I, I did that wasn't probably the traditional way because I thought the best way to learn project management was in construction. And I thought, well, if you can build something, then you can actually manage change. And so I went to work for a construction company and actually worked on a couple of prisons, believe it or not. I know this sounds really strange, but you do need to really be very, very careful when you're talking about projects in that kind of environment. Because if they say from a health and safety perspective, something has to be so big, you need to make sure it is. And that's quite different from a business perspective of project management. So I, I did a, a couple of years in construction and then moved into project management and change management from that and, and, and ended up working you know, in companies like uh, Kellogg's, um, the serial company leading change there, and then working in, in lots of consultancies to really, you know, hone the skill of change and, you know, learning about agility as well. So I think you mentioned early on there that, that you know, kind of you wanted to work in change because you enjoyed working with people. Do you think people still, you know, when they talk about kind of transformation and change, do you think they forget that it's fundamentally about people. You know, you hear a lot about operating models and, and new processes and new systems, but it's about change fundamentally, right? Totally. Um, and I do think, you know, people get very focused on the change and not on how people are going to ac actually accept that change. And, and they treat people the same when actually different perspectives and diversity is really important when it comes to making change happen because we are all very, very different. Yeah, we are. So you can't engineer almost one way of doing things and one of my favorite words, cascade it down to others and just expect them to accept the change. You have to work really, really hard to, to gain that buy-in and to find a way of communicating with people such that they not only understand it, but want to be a part of it. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Project management is a, is a big part of that, you know, and, and you and I spoke many times about, about project management and the, some of the challenges that Face it in the fact that we're technically very good often with projects, but emotionally not so good, which is that that people side of things. As you kind of worked in different organizations and 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 then went on and you, you did some work in banking, I think, was everyone kind of doing the, the same things with regards to project delivery and, and what influence were you able to bring there? I think one of the key things that I've learned in working in a number of organizations is that you actually need to craft um, rules of play. Now, I know that sounds a bit strange, but if you can craft ways of working that really allows yourself and your colleagues to, to nurture collaboration and innovation so that it really makes it easy for people to contribute and thrive. So a lot of the time, organizations, they rely on inductions and, you know, those types of things, which are secondhand. But you, you actually need to design ways of working that really amplify the desire and motivation for people to do great things. If you don't do that, then people will come in, join the organization and observe how things get done around here. And that's probably not what you're trying to achieve when you're managing change. 
Yeah, because we bring them in often to make a difference and yet we expect deference. So we're like, join the team. We'd love you to bring something new. Oh, this is the way we do things around here. You'll conform, right? And so what you're suggesting is that they need to be part then of almost a continual redesign or that evolution of culture. Yeah. And, And I think also you've got to really think about communication, meaningful communication, you know, really simple communication with positive intent. Because if your words can be perceived differently, then they will be. And there's nothing, nothing great about poor communication because it actually creates more work and rework, which is not good. So, so I think, you know, designing ways of working, really thinking about how you're communicating with people, because what you're trying to do in, in change is really build trust. And, you know, I know lots of people are talking about psychological safety. I like to call it social safety. Um, because I think it's more social. Um, But, you know, and and the way I've tended to do that in organizations is really, you know, setting goals as a team to really inspire and motivate and focus effort. And then one of the the other things I try and do is I ask people, I don't tell people what to do. I ask them, what, what do you think we should do? And get people to give me their opinions in things because it starts to really foster that trust. And when, you know, when you're trying to make a, a really tough decision, asking your team for perspectives is so useful because they actually feel valued and they actually want to contribute because they can see why you're asking them something. And, and that helps you then sort of recognize their effort and do it really well. Um, you know, one of the things I learned very quickly was about this concept of radical candor, which is about a book. Um, Kim Scott wrote this book called Radical Candor. And it's all about, it's not about feedback. It's actually about feed forward and also giving that you know, that feed forward out of care. So my trick for, for managing change and working with people is to really reduce the latency between effort and meaningful feedback or feed forward so that it actually is useful for people and they know that they're on track to achieving something. Yeah. So it's not about waiting six months or 12 months as part of some form of development cycle. It's getting into a regular cadence of being honest, telling people the good that they're doing, but also giving them one thing to think about. Because the goal of a leader, of course, Lanny and preaching to the converted here is to create more leaders. And so what you're saying here is you saw your role very much as a coach. So I'm not going to give you the answers, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to coach and help you to find out the answers for yourself so that you can grow. Is is that right? Totally. Totally. I think, you know, another way to think about it, I mean, I am a trained coach and I use coaching a lot, but there's a term I really like about coaching that, you know, people aren't used to, and that's about maybe practicing stewardship. And that's about, you know, the relationship of trust. And it's not about control. It's creating the space, um, you know, for the diversity of people as they are in their different roles and getting them to really contribute what their gifts are and, and what their goals are so that they can be really appreciated and also they can learn and, and grow. Yeah. And so when we talk about creating space, Lani, what, what, what does that mean to you? Because obviously it, it's interpreted by different people in different ways. So when we say creating space, what does it mean to you? A lot of the time when we're doing work, we're doing the work and we don't step back from it and go, what worked well there? What didn't work well? Where 
you know, where has there been, you know, duplication or waste in what I've done? And could I do this differently next time around? And for me, that has been, you know, one of the things that I instill in, in not just my own way of working, but everybody I work with. And I do that in lots of different ways, whether it's holding a session called a retrospective or at the end of a meeting, asking people, you know, what do they think work well? What should we try differently next time? And even what would have made this meeting even better? Yeah, that's great. Now, one of the things that you mentioned there was retrospective. And and so I know when you, you were in your role at National Australia Bank, this concept of agile, right? And people still think it's new. And you've still got people harking back to the agile manifesto, which is 20 years old this year. Can you believe that? I know. So what does agility mean to you? And then, and, and then how did it kind of inform the work that you did and continue to do in your roles today? Sure. So agility for me is being able to understand the context that you're in and be able to adapt to change. So that's that's the way I think about it. And, you know, the one thing about agile is you have to be agile to be agile. So, you you know, when people say, well, you, you have to follow this process, you don't. You need to understand the context that you're in, whether it's a bank or it's, you know, an insurance business or it's a hospital. You know, you can be agile in all of those areas. You just need to understand what's the driver there. And so the way I like to think about agility is how does work get done or how does a service get performed? And then how do you step back from that and go, well, how could we make it even better? And where are the points where potentially a, a customer is unhappy or you know, an employee is unhappy about a process because they've done that process for the, the same time. For, we've always done it this way. And it's about stepping back from that going, okay, we've done it that way before, but how could we make it even better? What would make this more fun? What would make this faster for you? What would it make it more engaging? Or could we eliminate it? Do we have to do it this way at all? So that the space and the retrospective for me is one of the, the most important practices of agility, because you, you if you don't actually take the time to reflect, you can't figure out how you can move forward. So a couple of questions that then spring to mind is, would you, first one is, would you agree that in order to be more flexible in the way that you deliver, you know, in, in exactly the way that you said that it requires a different mindset often than that, that the person has right now. And then the second question is, as a coach, then what do you do to help people kind of overcome the mindset that they may have, you know, overcome themselves really, uh, so that they can be more open-minded to a different way of working and operating? I think it's all about questions, Colin. Um, it's all about the questions you ask. And you've got to really ask open questions to people to really open that mindset around, well, I really enjoy the way I'm working right now. Okay, what is it that you enjoy? You know, what would make it more enjoyable? And, you know, if you enjoy everything about what you're doing right now, is there anything that, you know, frustrates you or anything that you think, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this? And that's where the gold lies. So you've really got to unlock people because it's rare, you know, I'm sure. I mean, I love my job, but if somebody said to me, are there parts of it that frustrate me? Absolutely. I can't imagine, you know, anybody's job where there's nothing that frustrates them and everything's a pure joy. And so that's the opportunity to innovate and to drive agility is unlocking those pain points points for people. Yeah. So notes to listeners, you can't tell people to be agile, which I think often they do. They send them on a training course, go right now you're agile. You know, agile. So you go do it now. <laughs> it's a stand up meeting, 20 yeah. minutes every morning. You're good to go. Uh, and it's not about that, right? It's a little bit, there's a little bit more to it than that. 
Yeah, you've got to start with yourself. You've got to, you know, you've got to start with what, you know, why you want to make things different. You know, you've got to be, I guess it's about congruence around your values and goals and making sure you're aligned to those. As someone who's been a part of many high performing teams, Lani, what what does high performance mean to you? What are are some of those characteristics of the teams that you've been part of? And I know for a fact that you've led, what what are some of those characteristics, would you say? I think the characteristics are are, um, having a really good cadence around that time to reflect um, and really, you know, step down and and not just do the work, but actually how you're working. I think that's really important. I think the next thing is about, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, make everything in an experiment. Um, So that way it feels safe to test and learn things. And then you can really, you know, measure results, inspect and adapt and keep making change. I think a high performance team that constantly is experimenting and looking at how their way, ways of working to really improve them is never satisfied with the, the current status quo and is actually welcoming of change and not seeing it as, you know, change fatigue. They're seeing it as an opportunity. Yeah. So what you're saying is they really push each other. It's not that they're dissatisfied with the work that they've done. It's not that they don't take the time to celebrate their successes. It's there's this constant kind of almost relentlessness to keep moving forward and never get stuck in a place where almost they become irrelevant. Yeah. And I think the other piece is sometimes, you know, when you're working for an organization, you get very siloed in your thinking, not just from your own team, but what your organization does. And I think we forget to look at how other people do things and look at, you know, how might Microsoft, how might Atlassian, how might Tesla, you know, even how might an airline do this? Um, just to bring that different perspective. And, you know, my, my favorite question is how might we, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, should we? Um, <laughs> because it's not about doing everything. It's about doing the right things as well. So outward perspective, um, diverse thinking, absolutely critical to a high performing team. I, I love outward perspective. I love that as a phrase. I think that's, that's really, really great. And I, I think people can take that away because one of the things that I talk about a lot, if I put it in the new book, which is a shame plug. Um, but one of the things I talk about is going kind of going on field trips. Now, you don't have to literally go on a field trip, but go and have a look at what Microsoft do exactly as you said, you know, and I always say you can't be the next Netflix, but what you can do is look at the, what they do exactly as you say, and say, how might we? And it's not that you, you can't, you can't copy someone else's culture, but you can certainly take inspiration from it. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think you're, you're right. The field trips or talking to people who work for those organizations. I'm very lucky. My husband um, is about to start working for Microsoft. So <laughs> <laughs> I get an inside view. But, you, you know, it is surprising how big your network is. And, and just, you know, when you're trying to solve a challenge or a problem or, or think about delivering a change, you know, who could you tap into to get that outward thinking? And so current role, you're working with a law firm. Yeah, I am. And so I imagine that's rife with opportunity, particularly for your innovative skills. And and, and I imagine, I, th- I think there's an old fashioned view towards law firms that they're kind of stuffy white men in blue pinstripe suits. And I imagine that's definitely not the case where you are. 
It's definitely not the case. And I think, you know, the, the COVID situation has really, um, you know, sprung law firms into thinking differently about how they work. I mean, they've been thinking differently for a, a few years, but I think this has helped um, really, you know, springboard things. Um, it's been like a bit of a circuit breaker to show lawyers actually you can work virtually, you can work differently, you can collaborate with clients. So yeah, it's really been a very exciting opportunity. Fabulous. And so how do you, given given all of that and, and obviously the roles that you're in, and I think, you know, I get the sense there's a, a restlessness with your own knowledge or a thirst for more knowledge, probably restlessness is not the right word, thirst for knowledge. So how do you keep yourself kind of at the forefront of what's happening in the world with regards to innovative uh, work practices, Lani? What do you do to keep yourself up there? It's a bit of a double-edged sword for me because I'm a bit of an addict to learning. So I am you know, constantly trying to cram in webinars, podcasts, meetups, reading. And the way I do it actually, though, is interesting because the way I do it is I design my day totally and I design every hour of the day. Um, so I have time blocked out for work. I have time blocked out for projects, meetings, exercise, learning, even the unexpected. I have a block in my calendar called the unexpected. I even have a block in there for fun and for worrying. And, and so that way, because I own my schedule, no one else owns my schedule and everyone's the same. You all own your schedules. If you craft out all of the things that you want to do, it's possible. And so because learning is so important to me, um, then I make it possible. And there's a quote um, I love from a guy called Arvid Carl, who um, is the writer of Zero to Sold. Um, he's also the founder of the, the Bootstrapper. And he says he loves learning and he judges most opportunities by how much he can learn from them. And I'm the same. I, I go, oh, I want to do this. I'm going to make time because I want to learn from it. What a fabulous way to end. So Lani Beer from sweet shop stall worker to global <laughs> innovator. I want to say a huge thank you for being on the Culture Makers podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Culture Makers podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to get notified when new episodes are released. If you've been inspired by today's guest, please share the link with your friends, family or networks. If you'd like to continue your learning journey, then why not join our virtual community of Culture Makers where our members share ideas to help them get a little bit better every day. You can find out more at www.culturemakers.community.